you have your Bible this morning, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. As a minister, it probably goes without saying, but outside of sleeping, I spend more time in this building uh, probably than anywhere else during a typical week. And, and sometimes the unintended consequence of that is that uh, this has become a second home not just for me, but really for my family as well. I remember shortly after uh, Chandler had turned a year old, and he wasn't even saying that many words yet. We pulled into the parking lot of the church one morning, and he joyfully shouted, We're home! And I thought, oh boy. You know, when, you, when your one-year-old pulls into uh, church and exclaims, We're home, that might be a sign that you hear too much. But I realize there are worse things than thinking of church as home. Because home is where your family is. And this isn't just something that sounds great from behind a pulpit. This is a truth that is weaved throughout the pages of the Bible. Over and over again, I mean, we sang it this morning, God is referred to as our Father. One of the phrases that is used of our salvation is that we are adopted as heirs into God's family. Historically, the church, those who come to church, have called each other brothers and sisters, even in talking of marriage, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul relates our roles as, as husbands and wives to Christ and the church. And so this morning as we continue uh, in these core values that we've been looking at, uh, we see that throughout the pages of Scripture, the church is described as a family. But of course, the church is, is not just only a family, it's largely a family made up of families. And so as we continue this series looking at these core values this morning, defining kind of who we are and, and who we seek to be as a church, our fourth value this morning is that we want to be a church that builds better families. God has a purpose for the family. What we also realize is that sometimes being a part of a family is hard. You know, being a part of a family with the negative influences on kids struggling to keep marriages together, the pressures of, of single parenting, the balancing of, of work and family life. It's not easy to raise a family in, to, in, today, in our world today. Our goal through this value, our goal as a church, is, is to strengthen marriages and come alongside parents and all types of families to help them raise kids to be followers of Jesus. And so as we have set this goal before us this morning, uh, to help illustrate that value, I want to read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, I realize that for most of us, Deuteronomy is uh, not typically where we turn for our devotional reading. In fact, I would venture to guess that if you kind of started off the new year, started in January, reading through the Bible chronologically, if the wheels didn't fall off in Leviticus, they probably did in Deuteronomy. If you had enough uh, gusto to power through the giving of the law once, you might not have had been able to do it twice. Because that's, a, that's what Deuteronomy is. Deutero is twice, and namos is this word for law. So it's the second giving of the law. Moses is nearing what he knows is the end of his life, and so he's wanting to reaffirm before the nation of Israel the commands and laws, the words that God has given to them as his nation. And so we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this key passage about the role of a family. Verse 4 Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all, and with all your strength. Now, some of you might already be uh, familiar with verse 5. You might not have seen it in Deuteronomy, 
Uh, but maybe you are familiar with it on the, word, on the lips of Jesus. In the Gospels, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He replies with this one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. But the reason I want to look at this passage this morning isn't primarily because this is what's described as the most important commandment. But more specifically, I want to look at what we're called to do with it. Verse 6, it continues, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Moses says that you know, these commands are not just snippets of wisdom. These aren't just kind of like the motivations you get from a daily tear-off calendar or the, the, the things that you find in a fortune cookie. He says these are, are things that we are supposed to engage with every day. In all areas of life, we engage with these words of God so they become a part of us. God's word is, is supposed to be at the core of who we are. And so we see that the key phrase of this, this whole text is that we are called to have these on our hearts. He says these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. And for something to be on your heart is that to be at the core of who you are. It's why we say things like, I love you with all of my heart. Because from a strict perspective, it's like, I love you with my blood pumping muscle. That's, that's really weird and kind of gross. But, but, but metaphorically speaking, our heart is the core of who we are. Everything relates to the heart. If, if something is near and dear to us, it's near to our hearts. And so as we talk about this idea of, of having these words of God on a heart level, engaging with them at a heart level, what does that look like? Well, for me, it kind of looked like, as I thought about this week, uh, it's kind of how like, you fall in love, the process of falling in love. You, you go on a first date, and obviously in the first date you need to know the person, and so you give them you know, this 50-question survey to fill out and, and go through scrupulously. And you subject them to new, numerous hour-long interviews to know all about them, and, and then you make sure that you spend no more than one hour a week with them. Of course, that's not how you fall in love. I mean, that might guarantee you have a lot of knowledge about a person. It might guarantee there's no second date, but it's not going to guarantee love. You know, when you fell in love, you engaged with someone at a heart level. You were, you were open and honest and transparent and vulnerable. You shared your hopes and your fears and your joys and your trials, and you spent time together living life until this compatibility grew into something stronger. And essentially, that's the advice given to us here in Deuteronomy. He says, you know, impress these on your children. Talk about them when you lie down and when you wake up as you walk along the road. In every area of life, engage with the words of God. And like we discussed last week, our, our, our meeting together every Sunday is vital to what we do and who we are as a church. But if this one hour a week is the extent of our discipleship, then we're really missing out on the life that Jesus offers us. If you, if you think of it this way, if you only ate one meal a week, you would be starving, you would be weak, you would be emaciated, and eventually probably wind up in the hospital. And so just as every core value has connected to each other, like we discussed last week, if our engagement with God and with His Word and with His people on a Sunday morning is the only extent of our engagement with Him, our one hour a week, then likewise we will be sick and weak and emaciated spiritually. 
But all of that being said, it is not what I find most interesting about this passage. This heart engagement is not what I find most interesting, but rather the target group whom Moses says that we should teach these commands to. Those whom we should teach to engage with these words at our heart level. You see, he doesn't say, go and teach these commands first to your neighborhood so that you can live in a godly community. He doesn't say, write and tell your congressman about these words so that we might live in a godly nation. He doesn't say, form a Bible study where you can postulate and ponder all of these commands so that we might be well-versed in the Word. Because as important as all of those things might be, he first says, impress them on your children. You see, discipleship starts with the family. And that's really the root of, of what this value is all about. Because when it comes to building better families, it doesn't start with what we do in this building one day a week, but rather with what you do in your homes every day of the week. When it comes to teaching who God is and what He desires, He didn't delegate that task primarily to the church but rather gave that task to the family. And if that surprises you, it really shouldn't. Because just thinking of it from the numbers, where do your kids spend most of their time? The church or their house? And depending on the involvement of your family, your kids are under this roof you know, one to three hours a week, while they're in your home one to three hours per day. Parents have over 3,000 hours a year to teach their kids about Christ. The church, on the other hand, has about 40 hours a year. So speaking with your children about engaging with the commands, with the Word of God, with who Jesus is, is largely your role, not the church's. So who is in a greater position to engage the hearts of your children with the Word of God than you are? But here's the catch. Because discipleship in the home takes more than time. It takes effort and, and, and intention and diligence. And being the primary discipler in your home takes more than just them being there. It takes an active role. Looking back at De- Deuteronomy 6, verse 8, uh, it says, Moses tells them to tie these commands as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when we look at that, what God means here is that we should be so engaged with the commands, with the truth of God, that it should be not just ingrained on our hearts, but on our hands and head as well. It should be coupled with our action and with our knowledge. The reason I bring that up, though, is because by the time we come to the New Testament, we see religious leaders with these little boxes called phylacteries. And in these little boxes, they would actually have teeny tiny scrolls of Scripture And they would actually tie these on their arms and tie them across their foreheads. It's it's kind of like trying to study for the big test by laying the textbook on your face while you sleep. You you see, it's, it's easy to try to take shortcuts with our faith or with our discipleship. It's easy to try to follow the rules without engaging with the truth. And so this morning, we want to be an encouragement to you in how to engage with these truths. One of the hallmarks of this core value series is that we've sought to be extremely practical with how we can carry them out. That more than just words on a wall or, or things that we can define ourselves to be, we want to put these things into action. 
And we want to do that this morning in a little bit of a different way. Because I'm guessing that even if you do have the passion for starting discipleship in your home, you might feel apprehensive because you don't feel like you have the tools. And so this morning, we're going to finish up a little bit differently. Uh, Aaron and Josie are going to come up. Uh, For those of you that don't know, uh, Aaron Miller is our youth minister, and he deals with our middle schoolers and with our high schoolers. And Josie King is our children's minister, and she uh, deals with all the rest of them, preschool through elementary. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of facilitate a discussion so that we can look at what it means to disciple kids in our homes and so that you might have some resources on what to do with these. So first this morning, I know that one of the things that uh, is a challenge to us in helping to raise godly families with kids is having the right resources. And so we put together a a list of some good resources that you can see uh, on the screen. And I encourage you just as we talk over the next uh, so minutes, that these these will be up here. I encourage you to write these down if you're a parent, uh, and and we'll unpack some of these and what they look like and what they can do for you. Uh, Before we look at these, though, I want to encourage you, uh, from my perspective, with one resource that uh, is available to all of us. Uh, Here at a uh, a church, we pay for something every month called Right Now Media. And what Right Now Media is, is kind of like a Netflix for Christian resources. You can access it through your computer or through your TV. And it's just a library of resources for kids and for ministry groups, for marriaging and, and Bible studies, for leadership, all kinds of categories. And just by coming to Countryside, being a part of us, you have free access to this. In fact, if you have a smartphone, you can look at the back of your bulletin. There's a QR code. You can scan that right now and immediately sign up to have those resources at your disposal. But aside from those, we want to get kind of youth and children specific with those. And so, Aaron, um, I wanted to just to ask you if you could walk through a couple of these and explain how that might be useful tools for parents. So, this is a hot mic. Can you down <laughs> a little bit? Um, the Bible Project is the first one you'll see up there. And I'd encourage you, parents especially, to write these down or maybe whip out your phone and take a picture of the screen right now so you can remember these resources. Um, the Bible Project is one that I love for Bible study for virtually anything. Uh, They put out videos that summarize books of the Bible, that give background to passages or uh, even themes that you'll find throughout Scripture. Um, Really, if you don't know where to start with a Bible study with your teen or child, that's a really good place to start. Just go to their YouTube page, go to their website, find their videos, and just pick a topic or pick a chapter or a book of the Bible or something. Um, When I was in high school, my dad felt the urge to start a Bible study with me, just uh, he and I. And I remember we walked through a couple of Paul's shorter letters in the New Testament, and I remember reading through them and just being totally lost of the overall meaning of the book or the the letter or whatever. And if I had had a resource like that where it really clearly walked through, here's what the book is saying, here's this first section, and then Paul goes here and then here. And if I had had that to kind of guide me along, even uh, if my dad had had that to help me uh, uh, put that into context as we walked through it, it would have been really, really helpful. So Bible Project is one that I would highly recommend at least checking out, even just for regular congregants. It's, it's a really great resource. Uh, the other one is Axis.org, and that's especially one that I would recommend for parents with teenagers. Um, Axis is uh, a, a site that puts out a weekly free email. That's the main resource that I use from them. And they have all sorts of topics that they cover that teens are talking about in school, things that are relevant to kids right now so that parents can have conversations with their kids about those things. So, for example, one that just came in the mail this week 
this last week, Snapchat, which parents, we don't know a lot about Snapchat, do we? Uh, Snapchat announced new visual search in which its camera detects products and automatically finds them on Amazon. Why does that matter, you might ask? Why does it matter that Snapchat is doing this? Well, it's because social media, which your kids are all over, is not just about connecting with people anymore. But social media has become, as more and more companies and, and people with money get their hands on apps and features, it's becoming more and more about making more money. And that's a useful conversation to have with your kids. Understand that you, as a social media user, are being targeted by ads, being targeted by features within these apps. So that's a good conversation to have with your kids and you know, talk to them about what that means for them, how they can navigate social media and things like that. And that's just from the weekly email this week. Uh, there are all sorts of other guides that they have for parents that walk through things like Instagram and Snapchat, guides that tell parents how this stuff works, things like uh, suicide or um, any kind, Fortnite, right, a new big video game. There's, and that sounds like an eclectic grouping of topics. It's because it is. They have stuff for all sorts of things to help parents be able to engage their kids in useful conversations on those topics. So that's one that I would recommend checking out, if nothing else, the free email they send out because that comes every week and gives you three big things to focus on with your child for the week, conversations to have. So those are mine. Okay. Josie, what are a couple that you would uh, recommend? I feel like I'm aging myself with this and they both have their... <laughs> technology, but that's all right. I don't have my bifocals yet, so I'm still, <laughs> I'll still call myself young. So my favorite recommendation for parent or for moms is anything with Karen Stubbs. She is an author of different books and different uh, Bible studies that are, are on Right Now Media. Uh, she also has a podcast that is amazing. Uh, she just gives uh, different recommendations. She's been through every stage um, of her child's lives. They're already in college, and she's just, she's a great resource to use. And also the curriculum that we use in the children's ministry is called Orange. And they're called Orange because they um, say that the church represents uh, the color yellow, so the light. That's you and I as members of the church, elders, deacons, the pastors, their Sunday school teachers, that is the yellow. The red represents the home. That is, <laughs> you learned something new. That is the family, people that they love. Um, parents, siblings, grandparents, um, whoever they're around, friends and other family, you bring those two together and you create orange. And that's what we want. Because when you combine the home and you combine the church, you're, you, you're getting a better influence for your kids rather than being separate. So they really want to use um, people doing it at home on their own. So they have a couple of different resources that um, reiterates the lesson that I teach. So they, along with providing a lesson for me to teach and for teachers to teach while we're at church, they have studio252.tv. And that is, um, it's full of games. It's more for kids. It's full of games. It has things that they can read, um, different scriptures to look up, uh, different little short videos. And it all has to do with whatever we're learning in Kick or here at church. The other one is theparentq.org, and that is more geared more for parents. Again, it has everything that we're learning, the memory verses that we're learning here at church, but it also gives parents different articles. You know, what your kids' stages, which we're going to talk about their stages later on, but the stages that they're in, it gives you suggestions of what you can be doing at home. So you're not alone. You're not just trying to figure out how to do this because 
I'm I'm right there with you guys of parenting and sometimes it's like I don't know what to do. I don't know I don't know anything about Fortnite, so I'm glad <laughs> for those things. And you know, these are resources that can really help you. The last one that I have is our Facebook group, the Children's Ministry Facebook group. I ever about every day put something on um, just continuing to to tell what our story is, what our memory verse is, and even some things that you can do at home with your kids. So. Okay, thanks. Uh, Aaron, I got a question for you in particular. Uh, I have a three-nager at home, not a teenager, uh, but I can venture to guess that one of the difficulties, uh, one of the hardest struggles of being a parent of a teen uh, is just trying to find balance. I mean, there's school, and some teens are in, in working now. Uh, there's extracurriculars and sports. How do we balance all of that with also making church a priority in the lives of our students? So as pastors, at least I'll speak for myself in this, as pastors, we a lot of times feel like we're battling sports and extracurricular activities for programming, scheduling, anything that could pull a kid away from a Wednesday night or pull him away for a weekend that would take him out of a Sunday morning. Sometimes it feels like we're struggling against those things, but really, I want to stress that those things, extracurricular sports, uh, dance, theater, that stuff isn't bad. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. In fact, there's a lot of benefits to, to being involved in that stuff. That can be great for your child, and I encourage those things. Um, but you've, the, the thing to focus on is that you've got to choose what, or help your child choose, I suppose, what's going to be a priority for them, what's important to them, what they're going to focus on. I'm not a parent. I recognize that, and I know that any parenting advice that I have would need to be taken with a grain of salt, because I don't have kids of my own, but I am a pastor, and I can speak to your role as pastor mom and pastor dad, because that's a huge part of your job at home. As a Christian, you're a pastor almost as much as I am to the, you know, whole youth group, right? You've got your flock at home to pastor. So I do have some things to say as, as pastor mom or pastor dad. Really, as you, as you look at the verse we've been studying today, um, it's talking about discipleship in all areas of life, not just Wednesday or Sunday. It's not just a couple of programs a week. It's all the time. Discipleship needs to be happening constantly, whether that's a conversation in the car, whether that's eating at dinner and talking about the day and relating it to, you know, what a Jesus or, you know, whatever you're going to do with that. But discipleship is a constant thing. And that's not to say that going to church and the programs that we have here aren't important, because that is absolutely crucial to the Christian walk. We have these programs here for a reason. We have Sunday morning services because that's the standard for a reason. Scripture is all about the local church and the big C church, right? So those are very important things to go to. But back to the question of balancing the two, extracurricular and uh, uh, church and, and functions, programs, and things like that. There's arguments that can be made for both sides, whether it's pro-church or pro-activity, which one's going to take precedent over the other on this Wednesday or that Wednesday or whatever. And here's the key. Whatever you take home, if you're writing stuff down, write this down. Here's the key. The things that you teach them to prioritize as children will be the things that pr they prioritize as adults. I'm going to say that again because this is really important. The things that you teach your children to prioritize as children will be the things that they prioritize as adults. Thanks. Uh, Josie, I know that a lot of parents have the questions that they've asked me, and I, I know they've asked you over the years. Um, how do I know when my uh, child understands salvation? And, and specifically, 
uh, how do I know when they're ready to be baptized? And so I wanted to kind of ask, um, you know, they, they ask, is there a certain age that I should look for, a certain developmental step? And, and I would just ask, what do you offer to help kind of discern that important step of faith? Yeah, there is definitely no certain age that you have to be to be baptized. It's not too young, not too old. It really is up to the kid. Um, baptism is such a personal expression that I think it's hard for parents to really know, you know, when are they ready? When do I know they're ready? So I instead encourage, instead of looking at the age, I encourage parents to look at different signs, different questions your kids are asking you. Um, be open and honest. When, you, when they ask you about baptism, tell them when you got baptized and tell them what a change it made in your life. Um, just be really open with them and tell them exactly what happened with you. Um, I think where I see kids kind of getting stuck is with sin. Kids don't always, especially when they start to ask about baptism, they don't understand sin because they define sin as murder or stealing or something really, really bad. So I think as a parent, you need to start, and everyone, we all need to help them recognize what sin is. It's disobeying. It's not cleaning your room when your mom tells you to. It's hitting your brother when he walks by. That is sin. And so as they're doing those sins, you need to help them define that and help them know that this is a sin, even though it's not something really bad and something terrible that you can go to jail for, <laughs> it's still a sin. So from there, you can then add in what grace is all about. Losing my stuff. That's why I need the phone. <laughs> you can start talking about why we need grace, why we needed Jesus to die on the cross for us. And when I start to hear kids in our class or parents say, hey, my kid's been talking to me about baptism, I have a baptism packet that they can go through. I send it home with the kids, or if they need me um, to come and do it with them. We set some time aside for that. And in that packet, it has all kinds of scripture that the kids are to look up. So you're helping them make ownership of it. When they make it theirs and they're understanding and they're looking up the verses. And as you go through it with them, you kind of get an idea. Are they understanding what baptism is? Do they know what sin is? Even in my own personal experiences, as I'm going through the booklet, um, with some of my, my own kids, I start to realize, hey, they're not quite ready. Or I start to think, they understand it, they get it, and this is awesome. So if you start going through that packet with them, or you start going through verses on your own, and you start to see they are just not quite ready, that's okay. I would so much rather them understand it and get it than reach a certain age, and you think that they've kind of missed out on their opportunity, because there's always an opportunity. Awesome. Aaron, one of the things that we uh, really want to emphasize about this value is that discipleship isn't just a Sunday or a Wednesday thing. Uh, we want, uh, like Josie was saying, kind of with that orange idea of, of parents and churches in the, the church to partner together uh, to help kids and students grow in their faith. Uh, what are ways that uh, parents or volunteers can specifically partner with you to help disciple their kids? Oh, I, I just want to say I like the word partner a lot because that's really like, that really is what this is. I am not the only discipler of your child. I, at least I shouldn't be. Uh, Josie shouldn't be the only discipler of your fifth through lower age child, right? We are partners together to raise your children up so that when they graduate high school, they have a firm Christian foundation and they don't fall away when they get to college, which is unfortunately a really common thing these days. I mean, it has been for years. And so we're partners working together in this. So partner with us in, 
in any way that you see fit. Uh, one way that I'd like to mention um, is that we at Countryside want to build the kinds of families that, that are um, focusing on discipling their kids just as much as they are sending their kids to be discipled by us. We want to build those kinds of ideal families where discipleship is happening at both places simultaneously. And there are ways that we can work together on this. One way is just to simply ask your kids, if you have students in our programs, ask your kids what they learned on your drive home, when you sit down for dinner the next day, maybe in the morning when they're getting ready for school, ask them what we talked about at church last night. Any question would do, but, but be specific. Encourage them to really talk about, like, what, what was the point of the lesson? What, what was the scripture you talked about, maybe? Even if they can't remember the, the verse reference, they may be able to get some key words out and be able to have a conversation about it. But engage your students, your children, in the lessons that we're talking about so they can help retain them after they've left our building. Because we recap every Wednesday what we talked about the previous Wednesday, but it's been a whole week. And by then, they've probably forgotten whatever it was we talked about. So if our middle school and high school ministries, for example, we're going through a series on idolatry. Uh, we're talking about the things in our lives that we idolize and we give authority to. So week one was about idolizing ourselves, making ourselves the boss of our own lives. And often we're not the best in the best position to run our own lives because we make poor decisions. So we talked about that and really how to overcome the boss of ourselves and, and give up our seat and put others first. Week two, this was last Wednesday, was about the idol, uh, the idol of stuff, the God of things, wanting more and more things, uh, uh, clutching onto your stuff so that no one, you know, not wanting to share it, things like that. And we talked a lot about overcoming that God of stuff in a way that helps us have a healthy relationship where we can own our things, but they don't own us. Those were the two first two weeks of this series that we're in right now. And I think those conversations are relevant for all of us. We all struggle with idolatry in some form or another. And so I think if you were to engage your kids, what did you talk about? Well, we talked about idolatry. What do you mean? What's idolatry, right? Have those conversations, and maybe, honestly, your kids can teach you some things or help remind you of good spiritual truths that you need in your own life. And then one of the other ways is that each Wednesday night, whenever we wrap up our discussion, first, let me will walk through a Wednesday night for us. We come and we have a game because what's youth ministry without a game? So we have our game, and then we have our lesson time, which is kind of like our setup for whatever we're talking about for the week. And then we break off for 30 minutes or so for our discussion groups, which is half of our entire program time. We dedicate a lot of time to these conversations after the lesson because really those conversations are where the, the growing, the learning truly happens. They get the information in their heads during the lesson, but they really hang on to it afterwards when they're talking about it, when we make those questions specific to them. When we say, okay, what's the time that you idolize stuff? What's a time when idolizing stuff damaged your relationship with a friend, right? We talk about those specific things in their lives to make it real for them. And then we finish that discussion time with a, with a challenge. What are you going to do about this now? Here's the things that we learned tonight. Now, what are you going to do? And often I'll ask my students, if you uh, could do one thing tonight when you get home or tomorrow when you go to school, what's that one thing you're going to do? What's that thing that you need to challenge yourself to do to live this truth out? And I'll give them that challenge, and they'll usually come up with one, but then they have to remember to do that challenge. And so another way that you as a parent can join in on that is to remind them, to ask them, what are you going to do about what you learned tonight? What are you going to do at school, at home? How are you going to live this week to live by that principle? Maybe you take my one single challenge that I give them and turn it into a week-long thing. Maybe you give them a second challenge on top of it. It's totally up to you because you're the parent. But really, those are a couple of great ways to partner with us. And I also want to mention, for those of you that aren't parents with kids in our ministries, those of you that are here that feel like we're preaching to like half the congregation, not even that, this is for you. If you want to partner with us as well, 
be in prayer for our students all the time. At, at, every Wednesday, we're meeting with our kids. Every Sunday morning, we're meeting with our kids. So be in prayer during those times throughout the week. Pray for our kids. Pray that we would be good vessels to share the gospel with them, that we would point them towards Christ, that we would give them useful things that they can live at home that will change them into godly people, to Christ-like disciples who can disciple others then out from there. So that's what I have. Uh, Josie, we hear uh, a lot about kids and how they, how, how quickly they grow up. Uh, they, you know, it's a blink of an eye. It's hard to believe that Chandler, my little one, is going to be three this Friday, and it just goes so fast. Uh, what are some of the ways that we can teach um, kids about God in, in every phase of their lives? So there are approximately 936 weeks from when your child is born until they reach uh, wherever they go after graduation. So you've seen my probably my beads out in our children's nursery way. This is when your child is born. This is 936 weeks. And this is your senior in high school. So it, looking at them next to each other, you see that's a drastic change. You know, your bottle's getting emptier and emptier every day. But as you're going through all of those stages and all of those phases of your kids' life, it's like we're always ready for the next phase. You know, you're always trying to get them into the next year. You're trying to get them to their next developmental stage. And I don't say this to scare you or to make you feel guilty, but instead, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to start being intentional with what, the time, what time you have left with yours. If you're in this jar and when you only have, they're a senior and you only have a few weeks, you have those weeks with them. You have those weeks to be intentional, so when they're ready to go off to college or wherever they want to go next, they're going to be strong in their faith. I was once told that um, training a child and growing, being a parent is kind of like training your child to ride a bicycle. You know, you start out, you have your kid on the bicycle, you probably have training wheels, you have every safety precaution you have that, to keep them safe, and that's like their faith. You know, when they're little, in those little stages and when you bring them home as an infant, you want to protect them. You want to protect their faith and you want to grow it and nurture it and you want to do everything you can to not let anything happen to that faith. And you continue to help them grow and help the faith grow, but you don't want anything to be hitting that faith. You don't want anything to be hurting that faith. So then as your little writer starts to get a little bit braver, you take off the training wheels, but you still have your hand on the bicycle because you don't want them to fall, and you know they're not steady enough to do it on their own, and that's continuing with our faith. You know, when they start to go into elementary school, they start to get kids being mean to them and picking on them, and they're in the world a little bit more. You know, we've let them go. We've taken off the training wheels a little bit, and their faith is getting kind of dinged a little bit, but you're still protecting it because they're coming home and they're saying, this is what's happening at school, what do I do? And you continue to grow that faith and nurture that faith, even though it's getting a little bit bruised up, but you're still protecting it. So your bike rider now is going a little bit faster, and you have to, so fast that you have to let go of the bike. But you're so worried and you, you love them so much that you don't want them to fall and you know they're not ready for that big hill so you run alongside them just in case they're going to tip over a little bit. And this is actually the stage that I'm in with our oldest right now. It's middle school. <laughs> you want them to start making decisions on their own but you're afraid that they're going to fall and you don't want their faith to get too bumped or too bruised for it to just fall off. You don't want them to completely fall off of their bike. So you stay alongside them and you make sure that they're still okay. 
What does that look like within church, and what does that have to do with you and I as church members? We want these preteen kids to start asking questions, and our job is not to preach at them and say, this is what you need to do, because that's going to backfire. We want to instead encourage them, look for it in the Bible. You know, we want them to be brave, and we want them to be confident in their faith. So we let them ask these questions, even though they might be scary questions that we don't want to hear. And they don't continually come to us for all of the questions. But instead, we want them to be confident in their faith and confident enough to be able to um, find the answers on their own. So now your bike rider continues to practice on their own, and they're now ready for that big hill. And they're ready to go that speed that you were so scared for them to go. And you reminisce. This is when they were going off to college. You think back to those years, and you think back, and you're proud that you taught them that skill. You're proud that they went through the bumps and the bruises, and they may have gotten hurt a little bit, and they may have scrapes and scars, but they're confident, and they have their faith still because of you, because you set that foundation. If you wouldn't have taught them how to ride that bike at all, they wouldn't be able to go that, down that big hill. If you wouldn't have set that foundation of faith in the very beginning, they wouldn't be able to go off and preach to other people and be a light to the rest of our wor world. And that's what we want. As people of the church, we want to help you as parents to be able to grow an independent Christian person. Awesome. Uh, last question is, is for both of you. If you could encourage the parents of your students to uh, walk away this morning and know or do uh, just one thing, what would it be? We said this a bunch up here, but you are disciplers of your kids. And what that means is your kids are watching you all the time. So what I want to encourage you to do is to be the kind of parents, the kind of adults that you want your kids to grow up into. Because your kids are growing into many yous all the time. They're watching you. They're doing the things that you do. They're mimicking you. So if you want to disciple your teens to be good, strong Christians as adults, then be the kind of adults that you want them to be. I think be present wherever you are right now. You could have a jar full of beads or you could have a jar with just a few beads in it, but be present, um, be intentional. You have a limited amount of time with them, so just make every moment and every stage count. Would you guys join me in showing your appreciation for Aaron and Josie this morning? Uh, I know that uh, we had a you know, brief amount of time this morning, and, and maybe you have questions that weren't answered or things that you're particularly struggling with right now as a parent or uh, wanting advice. And I would encourage you um, to reach out. I'm going to put uh, emails up here. Uh, my email, Aaron's email, and Josie's email are all up there. You can write these down. Uh, and, and send us a, a message. If there's something that you want to know more about or a program that you would like to do with your kids, uh, let us know, and we would be happy to help in whatever ways that we can. As we close this morning, I wanted to uh, read Proverbs 22.6. It says, Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, like all Proverbs, this is a general principle, not a concrete promise. We know people who grew up in church and are no longer uh, you know, Christ followers now. Uh, but I think the, the broad stroke of this, the wisdom still rings true. Uh, the greatest thing that you can do for your children is to teach them about Jesus. 
The greatest thing that you can do for your children is to teach them and model for them Jesus' love now. Uh, this last year on Easter, uh, I asked Chandler when we got home what he had learned at church, to which he proudly exclaimed, Jesus is alive! And I just can't describe to you the joy that fills my heart uh, to know that my two-year-old knows that Jesus is alive. And whether he's two or 18 or, or 80, you know, if the foundation of his life is that Jesus is alive, I know that I will have done my job. This morning, we want to be an encouragement to you as we seek to build better families, to, to center our families around Jesus. As always, uh, during this invitation time, we're going to extend uh, this as an opportunity for you to make a decision. Maybe you have not uh, accepted Jesus into your life. Maybe you didn't have the same foundation that uh, kids who grew up in church have. Maybe you didn't have a life where you were brought up uh, in a Christian environment, a godly environment. Uh, and maybe you've just never committed yourself to Jesus. And as always, this is a time uh, where you can talk with one of us about what that looks like and how to do that. But I also want to extend this invitation time uh, as an opportunity that we have just to pray for you as parents or grandparents or, or people raising children. Uh, because I know, you know, parenting is a struggle. I know the kids are in here, so this is a bad thing to tell them. But parents, we know that we don't really know what we're doing all the time. Uh, a lot of it is just figuring it out as we go along. A reminder of that old catchphrase of whose line is anyway, everything's made up and the points don't matter. That is like parenting in a nutshell. Uh, but parenting is hard, but there is an incredible privilege that we have to be able to help young people know Jesus and, and to learn to love him too. And so we want to pray for you. If you're struggling or have a hard time, please come up during this time. We'd love to pray with you about that. Uh, I know some of you, uh, unlike that proverb, you're experiencing the opposite. You trained your children in the way they should go, and, and you're older now, uh, and your kids are not in church. And I know that can, that's got to be hard. Uh, I, I can't imagine the pain that it is, and I know just talking with you guys, many of you are experiencing that, and we'd love to pray with you about that as well. Um, maybe you just want to seek to be a blessing to someone this morning. Maybe you're uh, doing really well in your parenting right now. Maybe there's just somebody you know around you that you could pray with or encourage during this time. Uh, whatever the case, uh, as we sing this next song, uh, I'm going to be up front, our elders are going to be in the back, our response team is going to come forward, and we just love to pray for you and encourage you as we together seek to build better families. Would you please pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this morning uh, and for this opportunity, the, just the way you orchestrated it uh, to work out, to be all together in this room uh, as a family, uh, to be able to hear from Aaron and Josie and, uh, and what they have learned about ministering to students and to children and I just pray that uh, for those in this room that are parents, I pray that this would be an encouragement to them, that they would know this, this church is a place not just to come and, and sing a few songs and listen to a sermon once a week, but truly a place that cares about them and their families, that wants to enable them and equip them and empower them to raise godly children who will be strong Christians. God, I pray for those in this room who are, are struggling right now as parents, and I pray that you would just uh, provide them with an extra portion of your spirit, uh, that your Holy Spirit would come upon them powerfully to equip them to raise their children well. God, I pray for those in this room who uh, are out of the child-rearing stages and, and did their best to raise their children up in church, but maybe for whatever, in one reason or another, uh, their, their kids are not following you. 
or at least not following you the way we sh- they should, and I just pray for them. Uh, I pray that you would help them to you know, be free of any guilt, uh, to know that we all have free will to choose whether we would follow you. And I just encourage, uh, I just ask that you would encourage them to be praying for their, stu- for their children, that it's never too late. Uh, the prodigal story of the prodigal son rings true for so many of us. And we never know uh, when that child might be coming up the road again, uh, looking to find you once more. And so I just pray uh, for those in this room that are in that stage right now, that you would uh, just help them to feel your love. God, I pray that as we, uh, as a church, seek to follow you, we would do so as a family made up of families. And our desire would be to see uh, your name made famous uh, through our homes, our communities, our schools, that we have opportunities to make little evangelists and, and to disciple them, that they could go out and disciple others. And I just pray that you would empower us for that task this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.